Hey, everybody. My name is Josh Pollard. I am the adult ministries pastor here at Renovation Church. And if you were here last week, uh, then you know we have wrapped up our study of the book of Luke. And we are now jumping into a three-week study on the book of Philemon. And Philemon is uh, one of the shortest books in the whole Bible. It's only one chapter, 25 verses long. And it's a short personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a guy named Philemon, which is really unique for Paul because usually he writes these big, long theological letters to churches. So this is really unique because we get to see Paul in more of a pastoral, ministerial, personal setting, which is really interesting. What's amazing about this letter, I find, is that though it is small and might seem obscure and even maybe unimportant, when you study it, you find it's extremely important, very practical for your daily life. So when we ask, why would God choose, out of all the letters that Paul wrote to people through his whole life, to people and to churches, why would he choose this one to be included in the Holy Scriptures, to be known as God's Word and have authority over your life and over my life? I think when we ask those questions, we have to remember that even the shortest books in the Bible were inspired by a big God, and that we believe the Bible is the lamp of truth in the darkness, and even the smallest bits of Scripture can light up our entire world. So go ahead and grab the Bibles that you got. Uh, if you need one, there are Bibles under the chair in front of you, or if you're in the front row under your chair, and follow along. Philemon's near the back of the Bible, just before Hebrews, if you're having trouble finding it, or if you're in the Bibles we have here, we're on page 816. And as you find that, know that we're going to uh, be focusing our study today in verses 1 through 7. And that's usually known as the introduction and the thanksgiving of the letter. And that might make you think, oh, I can skip that part and get right to the good part. right? But that is not how the Bible works. Even the smallest parts can light up your world, remember? So before we jump right into the main point of Paul's purpose in writing this letter next week, let's slow down and see what God has for us in this part. So we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a chance to come together to study your word. We'd ask your help to have our eyes open to it, our hearts softened to it, and that your truth, the truth of your gospel and who you are, would land deep in our hearts and would change our lives, and that you would be glorified through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've got Paul, and he writes this letter to Philemon. And if you keep reading later in the letter, you'll find that Paul and Philemon have a very special relationship because Paul led Philemon to Christ earlier in his life. So Paul knows Philemon really well. And so Paul starts to give us this description, if you will, of Philemon's character, 
who he is. And I read it, and I think it's such a great description. What a guy this guy is. You know, he says that uh, Philemon has a deep love for God's people, and he's got a deep faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the reputation that Philemon has. He describes him as Paul's partner and a dear friend and a fellow worker. And Paul says his love has given him great joy and encouragement. And that's, he's the type of man that refreshes the hearts of God's people. What a reputation, right? I think what a, what a great way to be described. And it makes me think, I wonder what my reputation is. You know, when my church thinks of me or my friends think of me, what pops into their mind? If this letter was written to me, what would Paul say about me? What would he say about you if it was written to you? You ever think about that? What is your reputation as a Christian, as a person? Do you think your friends would say that you have a deep faith in Christ? Is that what resonates with them? Do you think they would describe you, man, that person has a really deep love for God's people? Would they say, you are a dear friend? Man, that person, they're my fellow worker. They bring me such joy and encouragement. Do you think your reputation is a person that refreshes the hearts of God's people? I hope it's mine. I hope it's yours. Church, I hope that that is the the reputation that we have. You know, Oscar Wilde, the author, he once said that some people bring happiness wherever they go and others whenever they go. And I pray, church, that we are the type of people that bring refreshment to God's people wherever we go, because that's the description of a true Christian. So we see here in the introduction that Philemon, if you look closely, is not the only recipient, though. We also have Apphia and Archippus. And now we aren't totally sure, for sure, who Apphia and Archippus are, but there are some theories based on some clues in the text. Two main theories. The first one is that Apphia is Philemon's wife, possibly, and Archippus is their son. And the second main theory is that Apphia and Archippus are Philemon's just fellow workers in the local church there, co-workers. And I think both of them have their strengths, and we can learn a lot from looking at each one. So let's look at the first one. If the theory about Apphia being Philemon's wife and Archippus being their son is true, then it could teach us a lot about being a Christian family, about being a family of Christians, We would have Philemon, the dad, who we've already looked at a description of his character. What a dad. What a good father. It's the type of description any good father would love to be known as. I hope that's the way I'm known as a father, as a man who has a deep love for for, uh, God's people, a deep faith in the Lord, and a man that refreshes the hearts of people, a loving father. In fact, the name Philemon in Greek even means loving. So we'd have a loving father. And then we got Apphia, possibly Philemon's wife, Apphia's name, again, is quite telling. It means productive or fruitful. And she's addressed right alongside Philemon as an important person in the matter that Paul is going to address in this letter. Women in the New Testament are always held in high regard as serious partners in the work that we do as a church. He calls her our sister, not because she's literally their sister, but as a term of endearment to show how important and dear and meaningful she is to him and the work that they are doing. And then we've got Archippus, probably or possibly their son. And the first thing we learn from Archippus is not to read too much into biblical names because his name just means horse master. But dads, if you want to name your kid horse master, now you just go right on and do it. It's biblical. You can do it. You can have that family. All your kids have biblical names. You've got Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Esther, and horse master. It's biblical. It's a good Christian family right there. 
I wanted to name our last kid Osprey after my favorite bird of prey, but my wife wasn't having any of it. I should have gone with Horsemaster, I guess. So Paul calls our friend Horsemaster, Archippus. He calls him our fellow soldier. And if he is their son, then it is very informative on how we should view young people in the church, not just as an age group to reach, but as a group of fellow soldiers to include in the work we're doing. And we've structured a lot of our church with this in mind. If you have young people in your life, you need to bring them to the prayer meetings we do before each service. You need to show them what it means to be a part of a church that prays and depends on prayer. We need more. We do not have enough young people praying in that meeting, and we need the prayers of the young people in this church. We need to put our fellow soldiers to work praying. If you have young people, go on our website and look at the outreach ministries that we do as a church. They were specifically chosen because young people can be involved in them. Show them what it means to reach outside the walls of the church and serve the community. Put them to work. If you have a high schooler, join a Renovation U course with them next month. Show them what it means to study the Word of God well, to fall in love with His Word. We don't just teach them about Jesus. We show them what it means to follow Jesus day in and day out. Let's put these young people to work. That's the first thing we can draw from this. The second thing we can draw from this is the importance of meaningful intergenerational relationships. You see, Paul, at this point, he's an old man, and he's in prison, and he writes this letter to this possible family, and he doesn't say to Philemon and the family. He doesn't say to Philemon and Apphia and the kids. Now, he addresses Archippus directly, so he knows him. He's got a relationship with him. And we see in research that young people that have a meaningful relationship with five Christian adults, they grow up to weather the storm of Puberty and growing up much better, and they're more likely to develop a mature, useful Christian faith as adults. Five intergenerational, meaningful relationships. And for your kids, for your young people, those five relationships are going to be your friends. And they're going to be their friends' parents, and it's going to be their babysitters, and it's going to be their youth workers, people that work with young people. You know, so often we think about protecting our young people from dangerous adults and we completely neglect helping them to build good relationships with good adults. And it is so important. It's so impactful on their lives. So think about who you can intentionally foster the relationship of your children with to help them grow. And then if you have a good faith, if you're a devout Christian that has a deep faith in Jesus Christ and a love for his people, then get involved with the youth. Go serve in children's. They need it. We need people to be Paul to our archipuses. So that's the second thing we can get from that. Now, that's the first theory, that they are a family. The second theory, that they are co-workers in the local church. Let's look at that. If they are not a family, then at very least God has made them a church family. You know, whether you have a good family or not, God has given you a church family. And this is extremely important. You see, the gospel changes everything. It changes not just your relationship with God, but it changes your relationship with people. Because when you're adopted as a child of God, you get siblings. And I have a bunch of kids at home. It feels like a bunch. And I have a bunch of siblings of my own. And I have a bunch, a bunch of aunts and uncles. And so I know that being a sibling is not always easy. 
And a lot of times it's very hard work and not fun at all. Uh, but sometimes it goes really well. And when it goes well, it is so good. It can be one of the best things, one of the best relationships, because they're there with you through thick and thin, through everything. And we see that here in this passage. We look at verse 2. I hope you're still looking at it. Right there, Paul calls Aphia his sister, our sister. In verse 7, he calls Philemon his brother. In verse 3, he calls God our father. He's describing a church family. A family. Church, when we come together, we come together as family. And that's not just a metaphor. That's a deep spiritual reality. You've heard the saying that blood is thicker than water. Well, Christ's blood is thicker than blood. It's a deep spiritual reality that impacts the way we view each other. A family that can get through thick and thin if we stick together, if we lean on each other, and sometimes if we just put up with each other for a while, then it has an amazing impact on our lives. It's work sometimes, but it can also be super amazing when it goes well and with our Father's help. Look at verses 4 to 7. I hope you're still looking at it there. We can see Paul describing that relationship with his brothers and sisters, his church family. It says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And I hear that and I think, what an amazing, what great relationships. That's the kind of relationships I want to have. What a great description of a church family. And I think, quite honestly that this is a great description of our church, of this family, of you guys, you people in this room. I think this is a great description. I don't think our church is perfect by any means, but I think we do a really good job of being brothers and sisters. You know, I think about our elders, the guys that run our house groups for us, and their wives that sacrifice to help them do that. And I think, I just had a meeting with three or four of them the other day, And I just couldn't help but sit back and be so thankful to have these men that work for our church. And if you're an elder, I want you to know how refreshing it is to my heart and my faith to have you here in this church. It refreshes my heart. It's an encouragement to me, and not just to me, but to so many of our brothers and sisters in this room. I thank God for you guys. And I think about our small group leaders. If you were a small group leader this last year, and we had almost 70 of them, and we're going to need more next year. I think about you guys, and I thank God so deeply for you because of the impact your ministry has on this church. I'm continually blown away by the faith and love you have for God's people. I had a meeting the other day with a guy who called the church and just said, I just need to talk to someone. Because he was going through such a hard time in his life. We sat and we talked for over an hour, and every time his small group came up in the conversation, he would stop and he would start to nod and get choked up, and tears would come to his eyes because he knew he had people. He had brothers that he didn't have to go through this alone. He had people he could call on that were there and that loved him. That is thanks to the small group leaders. If you're a small group leader, I thank God for you in my prayers whenever I remember you. And I think if we look at verse 2, we see there that Philemon had a church in his house, that met in his house. And I think about our house group hosts, people in this community that let us do church in their houses every week. What 
a ministry they have. What an impact they have on our church's ability to not just be a room full of strangers, but to be a church family. Having a church in your home is a time-honored tradition that goes all the way back to the earliest days. And I thank God for your partnership in the faith if you've ever hosted. We had 12 this year. We're going to need more next year. And I think about the volunteers. Oh, the volunteers. All the people serving in kids right now. We have the cafe volunteers, the ushers, the greeters, the crew team, the band, the AV team, the parking team. It takes over 150 people every Sunday volunteering. Almost 200, actually. Just to get Sunday to work. And I think, where would we be without these people? That is such a great joy to my heart and an encouragement to my faith to see them in action. To know that they have a deep love for this church. Where would we be without them? And not just them, but their team leaders. That some serve every Sunday, all Sunday. What a deep love for God's people these ha- the, uh, for God's people that these people have, and how encouraging that is to my faith. Where would we be without them? And I think about the staff that I get to work with every week, every day, that I get to walk alongside, that I get to work on glorifying God and enjoying Him with my life's work with these people. It's humbling to see them in action, and I thank God for them so much every day that they've become dear friends. I love these people. And it's such a good gift to have these people, to have you guys. And when my heart gets down, and when my faith is tested, and my heart is low, I know I can be refreshed by my brothers and sisters because I always am. And so I thank God that for the people, all of you, that I get to serve alongside. It's an honor and a privilege to get to call you fellow workers and a great joy and encouragement to have you as my brothers and sisters. When God calls us into his family, it is such a great gift to get one another as siblings. I thank you, God, for these people. Do you guys remember how Jesus said that people will know we are his disciples? He says this in John 13. He says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Not just anyone out there in the world, but one another. And do you remember in Galatians 6, 10, anyone know it? Who are we supposed to take care of? It says this. He says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. So love each other and take care of each other. And I think we do that really well here. I think you all do that really well. God's given us a special relationship with each other. And he's given us a special responsibility for one another. And it goes, it's such a good thing to have. And we say all the time here at Renovation that we are not a cruise ship. We are a rowboat. So pick up an oar and get in. So if you are newer to this church family, We want to encourage you not to sit back and just observe, but take a little step forward. Get connected. Pick up that oar. Get involved. Get to know people. Next month, maybe join a Renovation U class. Or maybe today you take that connection card that you have right next to you and check a ministry team so that you join something, so that you're a part of the mission of this church. Get connected. We would love to have you. You need us. We need you. We are family. And we see here in Philemon that the gospel changes everything. It changes strangers into families. It changes houses into church buildings. It changes friends into forces for love. 
The gospel changes everything. It does amazing things. We see that all the time and we know it. But before we conclude, we must ground ourselves in why it does such amazing things. How is it that this gospel has such an impact on our relationships? And I think the answer to that is right there in verse 6. Check it out. I hope you're still looking at it. It says this. It says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So you see, we don't work hard to be good people because it's the ethical and moral thing to do or something. We don't serve just because it's so fun. You know, nobody's at home going, you know, I just love opening doors so much. I need to go join a church where I can lean into my hobby of opening and closing doors for people. That's not why we do it. No small group leader has ever accepted the call to lead because they got so much free time they're looking to fill. You know, and I can tell you from experience, no one comes to church on Sunday morning because it's so relaxing to get everyone ready and out the door and in the car and to the church on time. That's not why we do this. You know, we do all these things so that our understanding of the goodness of our God will be deepened. We do these things to know him better as our good father and as our servant king and as our dear caring friend. Our relationships as people are altered by the gospel because our relationship with God is altered by the gospel. Because we know he is good, we want to be good to one another. Because we know he is a good father, it makes us want to be good parents to our children. And because we know he is gentle and kind, and slow to anger, and humble, it makes us want to be gentle, and kind, and slow to anger, and humble with one another. And we come together as a church family so that we can grow together to know our Father in heaven better and better. That's why we do these things. You see, the gospel, which means good news, the word gospel just means good news. The good news is that our Father in heaven though he is completely just and perfect and holy, in his divine wisdom has also decided to be gentle and slow to anger. And that he would send his son Jesus to die in our place on the cross. And that is news that we share together. That is good news. That is ours as a family. That's our family story. That's what holds us together. That good news. We share that. And it creates a powerful shift in the reality of how we view one another because we're no longer needing, we're not in contention with, in, with each other anymore. We're all on the same footing. We're all the same. You know, we're all struggling and hurt and messed up and lonely and tempted and confused and sinful. We share that. And we also share the knowledge that compared to God, we are nothing. But to God, we are everything. We share that knowledge. We share the knowledge that we are his beloved children. That's what we share as a family. And when we keep our eyes on that, and we lean on one another, and we have the help of our Father, then we can get through anything with each other. But maybe some of you have not been a part of this family yet. You're on the outside of that. And you see now the goodness of our God in the gift of his family. And you know that you need that. You want that. We want you to know that you are welcomed in the family. 
He wants you to be his child. We want you to be our sibling. No matter what you've been through or who you are or what you've done or where you're from, you are welcomed in this family, in God's family. And know that God will change you when you join that family. That's both a threat and a promise. He will change you. He doesn't leave you as you are. Because when you join this family, you fall so in love with God that He helps you and you want to become more and more like Him and less and less like yourself. And you will see that when you go to that God, that the greatest refreshment of your heart, the greatest joy and encouragement, is not anything or anyone here on this earth, but it is God Himself. That is where your heart desires to be. And when you join this family, all you have to do is go to the Father. Go to the Father and put your trust in Him. Leave your old life behind and walk toward Him. Give yourself to Him. That's all it takes to join this family, to be adopted. And that may sound scary, but you won't be alone. We've all been in that exact same moment, and you get an entire family to walk alongside you in that. And when you go to the Father, you will find that His arms are gentle and understanding and patient slow to anger, powerful to change, and welcoming. And he will be so happy to have you back where you belong. And so if anyone wants to join that family, this family, our family, and you feel God calling you and saying, I want to adopt you as my child, we want to give you a chance to do that. That's something we do. We want you in our family. And the way we're going to do that, and we usually do it, is to have everyone close their eyes. And then we do that so that everyone just has a moment of privacy with God. It's just you and God right now. No distractions. So you can listen to Him. And if you are already a believer, then pray for the people around you. We pray the impossible because with God, all things are possible. So pray. And if you know you need to stop living alone and you want to be a part of God's family, then we welcome you. And what I want you to do is just raise your hand so that we know that that is, for you, that's today. So raise your hand right now if you want to say, God, I need to be your child. I feel you calling me into your family. I'm turning my life into your hands. Anyone here today that want to be a part of this? You guys can go ahead and open your eyes. You know, have you ever watched online those YouTube videos where kids find out they're getting adopted and how amazing those videos are? If you haven't, go look them up. You'll cry the rest of the day, okay? If you really want to cry, look at the ones where the kids ask the parents to adopt them. It will blow your mind. And when we get adopted into God's family, it is the greatest day of your entire life. Those kids never forget that day. They were alone, orphaned, no family, no parents, no siblings, but then they get it. And one day, one piece of paper changes everything. When we're adopted into God's family, it's even better than that. Let's not forget that, that we are not alone. We have a good Father in heaven, and we have the amazing gift of brothers and sisters. Let's pray, you guys. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for giving us each other. We thank you for not letting us have to go through life alone. We thank you 
for helping us to be selfless when we are. We ask for more help to do that. We ask for help to be gentle and caring with one another, patient and understanding, and encouragement to one another, all so that your name will be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.